Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Cisco. Modern modernization today has the products you need to modernize your workplace, like Wi-Fi booster crystals. Let their metaphysical powers enhance connectivity and spiritually awaken your Internet of Things. At CDW, we get crystals won't modernize your network. You need Cisco Catalyst access points that are Wi-Fi 6 compatible and can help you improve reliability, increase capacity, and reduce latency. Cisco and IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash Cisco. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I am your host, Shane Moss. I have... Some lovely, wonderful, exciting things to tell you about. Number one, the East Coast premiere of my documentary, Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics, is coming to New York City. This is, I believe, the last chance in the U.S. that you will have a chance to see it up on the big screen. There's going to be more details coming soon about a, uh, a release early next year. And uh, for those of you asking about it. I'll be announcing a lot more info very soon. But New York City, that's about the only chance you're going to have to see it up on a big screen October 4th and 6th at the Psychedelic Film and Music Festival in New York City. My other big thing, launching my newest project, Stand Up Science. What is Stand Up Science? It's a mix of everything that I do. Stand Up Comedy, and this podcast, essentially, it's going to be me hosting. I'm going to be introducing a local professor in each city to do like a 15 to 20 minute TED talk. I'm encouraging them to be a little more experimental, maybe uh, give a talk that they w- wouldn't normally feel comfortable doing in a more formal academic setting. And, uh, and then introducing a local comic to do some of their more cerebral stuff. I'm trying to create an environment for uh, to connect smart crowds with smart comics. And then I introduce a second local professor. And uh, they do, again, kind of like a 15 to 20 minute TED Talky sort of thing. And then we all I bring everyone up on stage and I riff in between about with some science jokes and some thoughts of my own. Bring everyone up on stage for a group discussion and a Q&A where you, the audience, gets to be involved as well. Uh, really excited about it. A way to do science outreach and to get some of these, uh, to get you guys involved and and. Uh, the discussion always these live events are just so much fun so i'm launching the first stand-up science shows in madison october 11th so coming right up then minneapolis october 17th chicago october 18th milwaukee october 21st i believe we haven't totally confirmed it yet this is why sometimes this podcast comes out on irregular dates because I'm waiting before making an announcement about this or that for something to confirm. In, but I believe Des Moines uh, on October 25th as well as Seattle, 
in November 8th, Tacoma, November, November 15th. Those are all on Shane Moss, M-A-U-S-S dot com. And now another one that I have to add, November 1st in Portland. So uh, once again, any one of those shows, even if you don't live in any of those areas, if you have friends in the area, I think they're going to be a hit. I think they're going to be quite popular and a lot of fun. But any one of those shows that do sell out, that if you can help the word of mouth, there's nothing like word of mouth. So if you can help me out, any of those shows that do sell out, one, I will reschedule those shows for three months later with the intention of if the if the second one also does well the intention of making it a quarterly show in that city uh i'm just trying to find the right markets where this show will work the best and and do it quarterly so if you happen to be in one of those given cities you'll you'll get a chance to see this a lot more often and two i will add any of those shows that sells out i will I will find another city and add another stand-up science show, and we'll give it a shot there as well. I have kind of a, I have some bigger plans for this. I'm I'm doing kind of a slow, pragmatic launch and seeing you know how it does in terms of. I know the show. The I know it'll be fantastic, and everyone that shows up is going to have a have a great time. I've already kind of done enough similar things. I've been working toward this for a long time. And now it's just a matter of making sure all of the kind of marketing pieces are in place and getting the word out to the type of people that will be interested in uh, in such a show. And we're starting with small venues, just like 150 seat venues. So I, I have high hopes that we'll be able to sell that those out to pack out those shows and we'll be off and running from there hopefully get kind of some good reviews and some buzz about it going and and launch some of the next steps which uh hopefully i'll be talking to you more about in the future if all goes as planned but for now that's uh that's all we need to know is go to shane moss m-a-u-s-s dot com and you can keep up to date with all of my recent club dates and uh, there's links to my patreon and everything else so you can go there check that out it really mean a lot to me i'm so excited about all these up and coming things i also have uh, the last couple good trip performances that i'm doing for the year in chicago lansing michigan and kalamazoo as well so if you happen to live in those areas it may be one of the last times that I'm doing a good trip live for some time. I'm putting everything on the back burner and focusing on stand-up science. So thanks for letting me plug away. I hope that you guys are excited about it. I'm absolutely ecstatic about these new projects. I think it's it's going to help. It's just a natural extension of this podcast, and I think it's going to help take this podcast to the next level as well so i'm very very excited and i hope you guys enjoy today's episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am in Miami. I just drove from Key West to Miami, 
Been having a great time in Florida interviewing all sorts of interesting people like my guest today, who is associate professor at the business school at the University of Miami. Claudia Townsend is joining me today. Townsend. Townsend, yeah. Okay, great. Um, and Claudia, one, uh, thank you so much for oh, joining me. I'm so excited me. to be doing this. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be kind of, well, I don't know if there's going to be two different completely different topics that we're kind of going to be talking a bit about related to marketing. But I guess to start, just so I know how to segue into each of them, what is, what's your background? What's your history? How did you, how'd you end up here? It's a good question, actually, because I think people don't even really think about professors being in business. It's kind of a weird combination, but yeah, in a business school, there are professors. So my undergraduate degrees, I, I majored in economics and psychology, which I loved them both and didn't really see them as ever overlapping. Mm-hmm. Um, after school, I went and I worked in economic consulting and I liked that, but I kind of, it was a little dry. So then I tried market research, um, which was kind of had the numbers I liked from economics and then had kind of more insights into people because we were looking at consumer behavior um, and I loved it. Um, and I said, this is really cool. I want to go get a degree and learn more and open my own market research firm. Mm-hmm. And this is the big dark secret. So when you go into academia, you have to say that everyone's going in to be a professor. And if you tell them you're going to be anything but a professor, you won't even get into the program. So I wrote all my essays saying, yes, I want to be a professor. I want to be a marketing professor um, in the back of my mind saying, no, that's not what I want to do. And I even had this idea that I was going to, so the way a PhD works is you do two years of coursework and then you do three years of just research. And my thought was, okay, I'm going to do these two years of coursework. I'm going to learn everything I need to learn. And by the way, a PhD, you don't have to pay tuition. Mm. And so then I was going to drop out and have this weird, it's called like a master's in philosophy of business rather than an MBA. If you do go the PhD route, so I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have this degree. I'm going to have pulled a fast one on everyone because I wouldn't have had to pay any tuition. Sorry, suckers. Yeah. And then I was going to go open my own market research firm or something. And so then I got, I, I started my PhD at UCLA and the further into it I got, the more I kind of started thinking, well, this is really cool. It's kind of like the market research I was doing before, except that as a professor, you get to make up the questions and study exactly what you want rather than what the client wants you to study. So after year two, I said, well, maybe I'll just, you know, finish up the program just to see what it's, what it's all about. And then towards the end of the program, I said, well, maybe I'll just try an academic job just to see what it's all about. And then I landed a job here at Miami Business School. And I said, this is pretty great. Um, And now eight years later, I have tenure and I feel so lucky to have this job. It's really fun. You have a lot of independence. You get to study what I think are really interesting questions um, and also do some teaching. And um, I, I feel like I kind of fell into a profession. It wasn't really a planned course of action, but I'm really happy to be where I am. Sounds like they tricked you. Yeah, yeah right. You, uh, yeah. They, they knowing yeah. <laughs> that people were going to be looking right. and using this to right, get right. a market research firm of their own, <laughs> yeah. but would then fall in love with right, academia. Right. Yeah. They, yeah, they pulled a fast one. They on did. You. They did. It's that old oldest trick in the book. <laughs> um, I mean, they are a university. Right. And they know for right. And this is kind of what, and and what people don't really know is when you think about marketing, there's kind of a bunch of different ways to study it and the area i do is basically really trying we're kind of all um what i do is study consumer behavior and we're all kind of um 
want to be psychologists. So it is, it's a ton of psychology just applied to buying decisions mm-hmm. and decisions about um, everything from kind of self-control. Do you buy the cake or the cookie or the salad to um, donation decisions? When would you donate versus not to even just, you know, when do you, which product do you buy? Um, but it's really taking principles from psychology and applying it. Uh, invention, cake, cookie, salad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to test it. We're gonna. I'm gonna need a, a marketing firm. It sounds like my lunch it. every day: <laughs> salad and cake. So this is. Uh, I I love having episodes about marketing and consumer mm. behavior and that sort because we have on the Here We Are podcast. It's. Uh, I really try to have topics that people can think about and might apply to everyday life and i really try to i i'm trying to sell science yeah the to the public and and you know make things accessible for people but also interesting and and i love hearing about all sorts of like i love animal behavior stuff mm-hmm. a, a lot and Me i love too. like we had a dung beetles episode recently uh-huh. that i just thought was fantastic and and uh we just i i just got back from an aquarium doing some nature stuff yeah. but sometimes people have a little bit of trouble uh understanding mm-hmm. the connection between like well how how say some dung beetle procures a mate and how that applies to their lives my daily necessarily. life hmm. i could see that being potentially difficult <laughs> whereas although it does because these are similar patterns in, in most every species but uh but a much easier sell to people is is kind of teaching people about the things that affect their pocketbook and yeah their buying decisions yeah no i mean that's what i always tell my students i teach intro to marketing and i say you know, believe it or not, you you have some intuition because or you have ex- at least some experience because you go in as a consumer and make decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a lot of our research shows is that the reasons people think they're buying things may not be entirely correct. But mm-hmm. we do have some intuitions about why we chose X over Y. Yeah, I have. Uh, you you want to hear a fun yes. the thing that I, uh, I I used to have these. I wonder if I've talked about this on the show before. I have a feeling maybe I did. That's OK. Uh, if I have, it's been a while. I, I used to sell after my, my shows. Um, I used to be a big drinker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so after my shows, a easy way to make money is to sell merch. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you, you kind of have to. It's, yeah. it's, uh, hard a living out there for a road comic. And I had these, these little plastic beer mustaches that would clip onto the the oh, tops nice. of beer bottles uh-huh. and you'd go to take a drink you'd have a mustache called it shane mustaches mm-hmm. right they came in eight different colors mm-hmm. okay people always they wanted the black and the pink ones always and but after that i could always prime people into getting you know the local sports team oh, nice. or you uh-huh. know like Halloween's coming up. You can get an orange, orange one, one or, you know, St. Patrick's Day for a green one or whatever. And then once in a while, there'd be a color that I was just sitting on forever mm-hmm. and like a purple or something mm-hmm. like that. And I just wasn't moving any purple ones. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I'd have them in like a little marketing or a little, a, a little display mm-hmm. 
uh, and and they'd be like equal piles of mm-hmm. little Shane mustaches. Oh, scarcity! And, yeah, and, and so I'd just take some out, and That's I'd good. have the purple ones in the middle. And uh-huh. I'd take some out, uh-huh. and oh, people just needed so that purple go. mustache yeah, so, so bad. Yeah, and I mean, it was you know people wanted to people want to support the community, and mm-hmm. a lot of times they're like they don't really care what color stupid. Mm-hmm beer mustache that they're gonna mm-hmm. lose by the following morning mm-hmm. anyway and and it, it almost just like eases their mm-hmm. transaction <laughs> to prime them a little bit in a certain way but what's fun is i would always ask them afterwards why they picked a purple right. one and they always had some story of their right. granddaughter's favorite color right. or whatever not and, because you put it in the middle and took, <laughs> took them away. so yeah, yeah that's actually i mean there's a ton of different ways to prime scarcity uh-huh uh, the fast fashion, or the sorry, the flash flash sale sites. I don't know if you know about these. The the biggest one is guilt.com, but there's these sale these sites that um they they send out a daily email, um and you can click on the email and then there's things that are on sale, and and they and whenever you go to the website, you know there might be a little timer in the corner, or if you put something in your cart, they'll say you can only keep this in your cart for say five <laughs> minutes, and then we're gonna release it back out. You have to make this decision yeah, very yeah, quickly. Exactly. Like this so, is like nuclear war right, or something. Right. So so just anything to kind of prime scarcity. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, I guess other people want it if, they, if they're not letting me keep it forever. Clearly, this is a highly desirable this item. This once in a lifetime <laughs> opportunity yeah. to buy this thing right. that I'm never going to use. Right, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, oh, and I, I mean, the idea in my mind of signing up for an email list right. to be sold consumer goods right. is just like, right. oh, yeah. ouch. Yeah. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> but some people, I'm sure yeah. my girlfriend has a, uh, yeah. has a bunch she's yeah. subscribed yeah. to and, and people, yeah. people go for it. And there, there are great deals out there to be had. And be ta- I mean, some of these things are like getting, uh, you know, actually getting sure. good products sure. yeah, and yeah. good deals yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> to people. Right. And, and it's, it's not always a zero sum game yeah. and both parties benefit. It, but but there's definitely yeah. I I think that uh, I I'm betting on the marketers right. over right. over the consumer <laughs> pretty much every time mm-hmm. and who's who's gaining the most right. in a given transaction right. But then you can also think about well, do they feel better about that purchase? Right? Um, maybe they actually at the end of the day get more pleasure because it's not just that I got this whatever it is sweater, but I got this sweater that apparently a lot of people wanted. So maybe at the end of the day, the consumer's benefiting. I mean, just to, you know, play devil's advocate and be on the side of the marketer, but maybe you actually like it more and feel better about it because you got this sense that you got this highly coveted good. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm sure there's a lot of people yeah. that still have a, a purple <laughs> <laughs> mustache so, that reminds them of that fun night they had at the show. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here riddled with guilt <laughs> that I sold these stupid so things. So that's your that- follow-up study to see <laughs> the number of people who've kept their purple mustaches versus the pink and the black. And uh, Right, right, you know. right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, going, I, I'm going to, in the future, because I have a lot of different mm-hmm. merch ideas, and I actually have merch that I like now mm-hmm. rather than, I never necessarily liked those mm-hmm. things, but mm-hmm. they're kind of fun and silly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. Yeah. To, I, 
I've, I often think that there's many studies that I could be oh, doing I, I out mean, there I'm, on the I, road. I'm now thinking, I mean, okay, now I have Shane's merch table where I can run field studies. Will he let me do this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, I'm going to come along and be your merch uh, girl for your next oh, tour. Oh, please do. As long as I can, you know, manipulate price and and where things are located. and. Yeah, well, and then there's bigger pictures of it, yeah. too, of, of just, I mean, even when I'm on stage, I have mm-hmm. to, I'm selling mm-hmm. jokes and mm-hmm. I'm priming people mm-hmm. in certain ways mm-hmm. and setting up context for people and and uh you know that's there's a lot of there's a lot of manipulations going on uh and and so uh, so, yeah there's uh, man that's i i mean much of our much of our lives are an experiment yeah i I think a lot of people would do would do well to start thinking of their lives as Mm -hmm. a little bit more of an experiment and trial and error and seeing what works right not just assuming you did something right that's actually a nice way to look at it yeah yeah um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, wh- where do you want to start? You want to start with the aesthetic stuff or you want to, because we, we, we talk about, uh, I, I, I did, um, and, and I always ask people at the end for a nonprofit or mm-hmm. a charity of their mm-hmm. choice because I was, I was reading a lot about evolutionary psychology and biology and kind of how we sell ourselves in, in different ways mm-hmm. and like, advertise like hey i'm really good at this you should right. like me and like the the various the various ways in which we kind of impress people and and doing good in the world seemed like a like yeah, a, why what, what yeah. a nice way to one make yourself look better yeah. but then it also improves yeah. uh, the lives of others at the same time yeah, why not? and a potentially mutually beneficial yeah. uh thing but i and that was that was the premise, and I didn't really know uh, what else to do. I, I have I haven't done a whole lot else, but I just I ask my guest each week. But I've never figured out. I was like, well, do I do I try to figure out something where people people can see publicly if they've if they've donated mm-hmm. or they can mm-hmm. share with? Mm-hmm. And I haven't. So so you do some research yeah. with with nonprofit giving. So I do. maybe I can uh, learn from you a bit. Yeah, sure. So. Um so yeah, as you mentioned, most of my work is on kind of aesthetics, <clears throat> a visual presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you set up the? How do you set up your merch table? <laughs> and yeah. how does your merch table look? But and we can start if, can, if no, one can, makes more yeah. sense to do first. It doesn't matter to me. That's okay. We can let, let's start with the nonprofit stuff, and then I do have some work in that area. So um, I have one kind of pro- a crossover project, which is looking at exactly what you'd imagine I'm talking about, which is aesthetics of when you ask someone for money. So. Um, I'll tell you actually how this study came about or this this project came about. I used to get kind of once a year a postcard in the mail for a nonprofit saying, you know, can you give us your annual donation around the fall when everyone's asking for a donation. And then one year I got this really, really nice. It was no longer this postcard, but it was like this letter and with this really nice letterhead and thick paper and really beautiful photos. And me being someone who studies aesthetics, all the research in aesthetics says, you know, the better looking it is, the better. The more people just there's this automatic response. We can't help ourselves. We like pretty things. I mean, just think about, you know, mate selection. It's it's pretty automatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I looked at this really pretty invitation or this really pretty, you know, solicitation. And I kind of like, I don't know, puked a little bit in my mouth um, and was like, I don't want to give this these people my money. And then I started to think about that because, again, this is kind of what I study. Um, and so I, I ended up doing some studies in the lab, and I actually ran some field studies. 
um, with um, communities and schools of Miami's. That's not my organization. I'm going to hold off on what my, but um, I did, they, they let me run some field studies, which was awesome. Um, and I started to see, okay, well, is there a reason I kind of responded badly to something that looks that, that good? And so I started to tease apart what makes something, what makes a solicitation good looking. So you get something in the mail. Um, and first, the first thing was I identified there's kind of two different kinds of aesthetic elements um, in this context. Some are ones like the font or um, just kind of the way things are aligned, which makes something prettier, but it doesn't really cost anything. Um, and consumers know that. Um, but then there's some that we know as consumers cost a lot when you get that really thick card stock or really beautiful laminated photos. And we know that costs a lot. And what I found was making something more beautiful. Yeah, it did help. But when you had something so beautiful kind of on both of these dimensions, both those that kind of are free, we'll say, and those that cost something, it kind of it it wiped out the effect and, and it looked too good in a sense hmm. and actually donations would go down um, and what I found was what happened was people expect nonprofits to be frugal if you're mm-hmm. going to take my money I want that money to go to the cause I don't want it to go towards fancy paper mm-hmm. um, and if you are giving me kind of something that looks unnecessarily nice and expensive I recoil a little bit from that and so then I don't give so that was a really interesting finding because it really does go against everything we know in consumer behavior about people just liking good-looking things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a lot of li- research that say people like to affiliate themselves with things that are beautiful and organizations that are doing great things. Um, like you said, you know, I want my names touted that I gave money to this organization. So again, that would make you think, well, if, if they have beautiful, expensive-looking things, that mu- you would think people would want to give more. I'm giving to this group that you know makes these super fancy solicitations, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and what's also interesting is this is really just for nonprofits. So if it's a for-profit, if it's someone inviting you um, to a event or something, you know, I don't even know, a sale at a store, then in that context, the better looking, the better. And it doesn't matter if it looks expensive. You you want the really beautiful, expensive looking um, solicitation. It's only when it's a nonprofit that you really kind of ding them if it looks too nice and too expensive. Mm. So, uh, have you ever seen Arrested Development? Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the Bluth family, okay, Lindsay yeah. would have like these charity drives yeah, totally. sometimes. So, yeah. so that's like that would come off as kind of tacky. Yeah. For someone. This yeah. Is, these people are just clearly advertising their wealth yeah. and calling it for charity. I lo- I just I love that you just made my re- research relevant to Arrested Development. <laughs> I feel so much more clever now. But it's like it, this is, and I'll, I'll give a worse example. Uh, Let's go for a worse example. Yeah, okay, good. Why not? Okay. Um, <laughs> Maybe it will encourage charity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, if you're driving your your kid around to sell Girl Scout cookies, right. but you show up in like a Lamborghini yeah. or something oh, like not that. Cool. Like, uh, not cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's a great one. Although I mean, I guess I mean to split hairs. You know, the the, the it's not going towards. We're the little, creating a lot of unnecessary yeah. variables. But with but that I example. but I do like that example because I think we've all probably been in some situation like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some other work just to kind of keep going with the the donations work um i have another work which was a bunch of field studies um it was with some professors just up north at fsu um that was looking um i should probably give you their names tatiana fajardo and billy uh, willie bolander um we looked at so if someone asks you you know can you give money to this organization or you get the solicitation we think about that as okay someone just asked you a question but what we 
identified, and we kind of actually went to this research on gambling, our gamblers, or how people look at gambles, that there actually, there's actually two questions there. One is, will you give? And the other is, how much will you give? Um, and the literature had always really looked at that, that as one question. Um, you know, the solicitation comes, and then we see how much you gave. But what we did is we kind of teased apart those two questions, and we noticed that different factors influence one versus the other. So it's interesting because campaigns actually have different goals. So if you're going after a population that doesn't typically, you know, people that have never heard from you, you really just want to have them give because then you have an excuse to contact them again. You can go and say how many people you have giving, which is often a sign of kind of satisfaction. Um, there, there's a lot of reasons why an organization is very happy, even if you just give one dollar. Um, it starts the relationship. Then there's other people you've been giving years, year after year after year, um, and I know you can give more, and my goal with you is not just to get you to give, but I want you to give a lot. And so what our research showed is um, basically the decision, should I give or not? That decision ultimately has is kind of a more selfish decision, I would say. Um, it's really about how do I align with this organization? Does it feel close to me? So for example, is the organization for me are you soliciting me from an organization that's going to help people in Miami or people in, in Africa, say? Um, and Miami just feels closer to me, so I'm going to be more likely to give. Um, or does it make me feel good about myself? So if you email someone and say, you're such a great person, we, we've identified you as someone who's really generous, that's why you're getting this email, that makes me feel good about myself. So that kind of messaging influences whether I will give, but we find it has a much smaller effect on how much you give. Then when it comes to that second decision of, okay, I've decided to give, how much am I going to give? That decision is much more based on the organization itself and my perception of them. Do they seem, does the problem they're addressing seem big, um, like a big weighty problem that needs a lot of help? Do they seem capable and competent of doing a good job? And so, so we really saw that there's been a lot of research on all these factors, factors about the giver, um, the organization, and the cause that have all been studied, but we really differentiated that the ones about the giver really more influenced this decision of do I give or not, and the, then the ones about kind of the organization and the cause have a much stronger impact on how much you're giving. Mm. Um, it's all relative. It's not like one doesn't affect the other, but that the kind of just the strength of the effect um, varies across those two decisions. Hmm. Listeners, do you remember the old days before LinkedIn, before this crazy wild internet stuff that's changed the world and you were looking to hire someone and and your neighbor would find out and they'd volunteer their kid and then you'd end up hiring the neighbor's kid because they're your neighbor and you didn't want to be awkward at card night that night and so you hire their dumb kid who uh, you know they're not right for the job but what the heck you're gonna give them a shot who knows maybe they're really gonna take to it maybe they're gonna be your new apprentice and they're going to move your business forward and you know within three days that that was a foolish hope and now you're stuck with this kid you don't know how to get rid of them it's it's too awkward what do you do move but just because you want to get rid of this kid that's slacking off, you didn't have LinkedIn back then, a social network where 70% of the workforce is on there where you can post, you can find people that meet LinkedIn's considering them the skills, experience, the location, education, and everything you need to know to fill, find the exact job candidate 
that you need to fill your very specific position, go to linkedin.com slash HWA for here we are. LinkedIn.com slash HWA to get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash HWA for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. So a few things come to mind. I, I often have guests because I, I, I always am sometimes like, oh, I wonder if that's going to work because people will mention something very local. Yeah. And this is like a national, yeah, 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 yeah. worldwide okay, great. podcast yeah, yeah. type listeners in Australia yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's fine if, if, uh, you know, we don't necessarily get every international right. person involved. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, that might be expecting uh-huh. a bit much. But, uh, but a lot of times when, when someone's uh, like, I, I don't know what you're going to end up plugging or mm-hmm. you can tell mm-hmm. me now, but mm-hmm. if you were to, uh, say like this, uh, uh the Miami pet rescue right. something right. or other, mm-hmm. people are, I, in my mind, people would often be like, well, why wouldn't I just give to the rescue and, my um right. louisiana or yeah. wherever yeah. i'm at uh but then there's also like i was just in in key west at uh, the mode aquarium talking about coral uh-huh. and even though that's in key west where they might not be it's talking about something like coral which right. is like if coral mm-hmm. gets devastated it affects all of us yeah. and so then it is yeah. yeah so there's a few things happening yeah. there but then i but, but also say you say you were to plug Miami pet rescue, right. such and such. Listeners in Florida might be more like, oh, she mentioned exactly. that and, and yeah. might be yeah. more inclined right. to just the average listener. I don't have data on yeah, like what be- the, I would love to know. I, I don't know how to set that up exactly. Yeah. And I'm kind of lazy, but I would, <laughs> I would love to, uh, figure out that right. I've always wanted to know what the data is and like who's giving. You know what you need to, to do is you need when? to have a promo code, just like organizations do. And mm. it says if you give to Miami pet rescue, um, say, you know, here we are, hashtag then. Shane or he, yeah. here we are in your description and they'll, they'll give another $5. Right. And that's what a way that you can, or all you say, I'll give another $5. Although that might be scary. You don't know how many donations you're getting. Here. Right. But, I've always, that's always been the big dream. It's yeah, yeah. like, I'd be able to like help match donations yeah, or put yeah, something yeah. like that yeah, together. Yeah. I am too poor to do that yeah. right now, but in, in the future, I'm not going to be doing that with my organization <laughs> either. So I don't blame you. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I would just, I would it'd be so fascinating mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see those numbers yeah. and it would make me feel good potentially to yeah. know that people are actually contributing. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I might have, I might have missed some of the, when, when you talked about getting people to, so people are already, I'm on board. I'm right. going to donate to the yeah. pet rescue, whatever, yeah, yeah. such yeah, and yeah, such, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh, grow, right. I'm going to donate to Iro Hair mm-hmm. for the elderly or whatever the mm-hmm. organization is, but you want to give more to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, how do you get, how do you prime more? So, out of people? yeah. So one, once you've already given, the idea is you already feel connected. So those, those factors that make you feel connected to the organization when it's about, again, the donor have already kind of been, been satisfied. So then it's now about the organization and the cause. So it's about, making or motivating people to see how important mm-hmm. the cause is um you know and and what the organization is able to do so it's really more about as an organization talking about yourself as opposed to the donor i see and then it seems like it seems like there's a lot of like com- competition used yeah. within the yeah. charity stuff. Yeah. there's a, a lot of like walking and running involved <laughs> but then there's uh, i mean it, it uh 
it seems like one thing people use is like, let's make this the best year yeah. ever yeah, yeah. for this blood yeah. drive yeah. or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. And that motivates people. So, is there something yeah, going so on there? It, so it's funny. So if you look at the research and like the work done on this um, among practitioners, they're always looking at, okay, how, how do you describe your organization or how do you describe the cause so that people really give? And then if you talk to the psychologist, they're like, oh, it's not about the cause. It's all about the donor. You got to make the donor feel connected. You got to make the donor feel good about themselves. And these two groups don't really talk to each other, right? So you talk to someone who's actually practicing this and they're thinking, wait, I got like, this is about the donor. It's not about, you know, me. And you talk to the psychologist and they say, wait, the organization matters. And intuitively it all matters, right? So I think, I mean, something like that, there's a lot going on. I think people like goals, and you like to have something to work towards. But I think there's probably some identity in there, too. You want to be part of the most successful year ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that relates back to the donor. Be the person who put us over the edge or or be part of um, this crowd mentality. We're all working together to get reach this goal, and you can be kind of in this group with us if you help us get there. I think – uh, same with the kind of the walks and the runs. I think part of that is just the group mentality. You show up and you look around and wow, all these people are like me. All these people care about this organization. It reinforces that identity. This mm-hmm. this is part of who I am. I'm a person who supports X. Um, and not to mention that then the organizations can then use that to kind of sh- uh, show other people, look, we had, you know, this many people show up for a run. And believe it or not, that's the kind of thing. So, for example, number of donors, that can really help them get, for example, government money. Um, if you can say, you know, we have this many people donating, it identifies it as something that people care about. Or we have this many people showing up to our events. Okay, this this matters. Um, Plus, it's uh, it's sexy, you know. Yeah, what a great yeah. what a great way to meet uh, new p- potential mates. And yeah. I have this I have this friend uh-huh. uh, from high school. Uh-huh. This this uh girl I went to high school with who met her husband in DUI class and less that's sexy less the sexy. story that they have to tell <laughs> everybody oh man yeah. yeah that's a brutal one yeah. um and and uh, i i think i think definitely everyone if if you just got to pick your story right. Right. That's not, <laughs> whatever that's story you wanted yeah. people people want the like i met at the blood drive or right. walk yeah. for life story or right. whatever where right. you where you met your mate but it also it does it shows that people I mean, there's certainly it's probably saying some things about a person's character that's that's showing up. If if, if you're doing some 5K for charity, it's showing that one you can do a 5K. Yeah. Two, you're probably fairly conscientious. Yeah. You're yeah. empathetic, thoughtful yeah. of others. You're no, I mean, and and then you post it on social media, and and it's you know, look how great I am in three different ways. I'm running and I'm giving money, and yeah. and I know how Instagram works. Yeah. <laughs> and I got this amazing <laughs> skill to take a selfie. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, cool. Um, so, uh, uh, any other any other nonprofit uh, stuff? Um, I'm trying there? to think. Um, I mean, it's funny because I I uh, I've realized just for me whenever I can do so, I run studies in the lab and then I run studies in the field. And mm-hmm. nonprofits, as you might imagine, are more open to allowing a professor to come in and kind of mess with whatever they're doing than 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 um for profit. So I've used nonprofits in some of my other work, but none of my other work kind of directly looks at looks at um nonprofit behavior. Mm. But there is a ton of research out there. It's it's pretty neat stuff. 
So, well, we mentioned uh, aesthetics yeah. in the course of that. I think that uh, it's a smooth enough transition yeah, sure. Let's into, go there. into some of that work. Yeah. And you set that up for people. Yeah. So that's where most of my research is. And it's and it's actually pretty amazing that, you know, I say I study marketing and I study how consumers um, make decisions. And to a person who is not an academic, it's very obvious that the way products look has a huge impact on their choices. Um, but what I found was, and this is very surprising, is when I was a um, PhD student, there's actually not a lot of academic research on it, which is very surprising, right? Because it's kind of intuitive. So that was kind of cool because as an academic, you look at the research and it seems like everyone's done everything. So it's cool to say, hey, here's an area I can do. Um, so, um, I mean, overall, it's again, it's intuitive that we like pretty things, but what I've really tried to do is, A, kind of push the boundaries of that, of when and where and why, and then kind of go a little bit deeper into that. Um, so one of my first publications was with Suzanne Shu, who's at UCLA Anderson, and we said, okay, we know people respond better to, to good-looking things, and there's this automatic response that people aren't really aware of, and then there's these more thoughtful responses, oh, you know that will look good in my kitchen or whatever. And we tried to think, what is what is one area where like the, we would least expect to see this behavior? And so we thought, well, what about financial decisions? That it really shouldn't have an epic there. There's no normative reason or we people don't think that um, you, aesthetics should have um, an impact in financial decision making. So if you're building a robot, if you're building artificial intelligence to make your financial decisions, right. for me, something that you're programming in right. there is not like how yeah. pretty is it? Exactly. So um, what we did is we collected a ton of annual reports um, and measured them on a bunch of things that could kind of be related to aesthetics. The number of colors on the front cover, the number of colors inside, the no their use of pictures, their use of imagery, are their graphs black and white or color? And we really kind of collected all this data. And then we would go to several different groups, one of which was kind of students um, at Anderson, the business school, who were either had a background in finance or had invested for themselves who had basically self-identified as like, yeah, I'm a, I'm an investor and I know what I'm doing. And then we would show them these different annual reports and basically um, then we controlled for the factors that should, should influence the decision, you know, the returns, things like that. Um, and we found that there was in fact an effect of the way the annual report looked. So people were more likely to invest and they felt more confident in the investment if the annual report was better looking. Mm. Um, so that was super cool. Um, um, so that, that is, yeah. I, that's, I mean. <laughs> and I tell people that and they were like, well, everyone thinks, well, I wouldn't do that. And I and, I'll, and then I go back and I show them who the yeah. sample was. And it's people who, I mean, arguably are way more um, savvy about finances and investing than most of us are. And yet they fell for it so yeah um hmm i, I, I wonder how so warren buffett's uh, uh, like yeah. oh i like this i like this uh, well, these little picture. roses in the in the corner <laughs> yeah. of this yeah. quarterly report yeah. yeah no totally uh so well i mean this is i, I think a lot of people you, you when you're going to build a resume or mm -hmm. something people go and figure out what font right is this and that so it makes it easy for someone right. to read and right yeah i mean some of it is very kind of functional right or you know if it looks bad then you think okay this person's sloppy or this you know but it's the difference between like kind of good looking and really good looking that you think this shouldn't really f matter again unless say your job is as a designer or you're applying for a jo job as a designer but this our research that would suggest i haven't looked at resumes but to me that would be that's even like a 
more intuitive place than than financial decisions. So mm-hmm. I'd imagine you would get the effect there. This might be kind of unrelated, mm-hmm. but but there's also there's a lot of like flowery talk and mm-hmm. say you're making a resume. I, I was just I was reading through uh, some potential upcoming guests. I was mm-hmm. reading through mm-hmm. some of their bios, mm-hmm. and I'm used to reading a lot of academic. We're pretty dry. Uh, yeah, pretty dry for the <laughs> most part. And I got to this one person, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of like the. It strives to be uh, the best yeah. of this and, and like really overselling yeah, it. And I was yeah. like, oh. yeah. like it was a, it was a bit of a turn up. Yeah. I think, I think intuitively yeah. we all think like, well, you know, you oversell, you, you want to sell yourself yeah. and make yourself sound yeah. better, but it, it just came off as like kind of uh, tacky, I guess. Yeah. Is there, effects like that where where it gets to be too much yeah that's a good question i mean we didn't find that with the financial reports but i could imagine it you know like like i said when i at the beginning of our discussion that with these nonprofits, if something's too good looking we don't like it and so i wonder if there's a similar effect in, in a financial report so um like i said when we tested it when i tested it in the context of these donation decisions and um aesthetics i found that the effect wasn't there when they were doing um for profits but the question is, okay, now the decision is, do I give them my money um, as a as a as an investment? And I wonder if you really kind of highlight to people, you're giving them money. They're going to use this money. Do you think they're using money well? If you made that report ridiculously good looking, then it might be almost like the nonprofit where I'm suddenly like, wait a minute, that's not how I want you using my investment dollars. Why aren't you using that to do something that's going to, you know? spur sales of, of your products or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I could see there kind of being an overlap there. Um, but the idea... You, of, you're using 20% of your right, overhead right, on these, right. That's on these definitely, fiscal reports. Right. There, were, there was at least two stock shares that went into this year's, <laughs> you know, for this year's announcement. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I could see it back. Again, we didn't find that, but I could see kind of like maybe, maybe we just didn't go far enough in looking at really good looking reports. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that some of the, my research has been exactly that kind of pushing the boundaries of kind of when aesthetics matters, um, and then I have some that looks at very like kind of trying to pinpoint some specific part of aesthetics. Um, so going back to actually um, your tchotchke table, your your swag table, I have some re- research that's kind of relevant to that, which is. We looked at, and this is interesting because when I tell people the effect, there's part of it that is super intuitive and everyone says, well, yeah, no, duh, like I get that. And then there's a part that's not that intuitive. Um, and so this was a, a project I did with um, Julio Sevilla, who used to be a PhD student here and he's now at Georgia. And we looked at, okay, so you have a display of products, so your tchotchke table. Um, and um, do you have a lot of things kind of, um, do you have like one table with say 20 things spaced out or and it's kind of crowded or do you take that same 20 things but spread them out over two tables okay so you're holding the the nut the, the actual um, items constant and you're just spreading them out over more space so they're just more spread out okay and so you can think about if you go into now i'm going to tell your reader or your listeners except for if you're driving close your eyes and imagine yourself walking to a super expensive store, say like a super expensive women's shoe store. When you think of a super expensive store, things are widely spaced. That's almost, we automatically know, okay, yeah, this is expensive. I can't afford it. Whereas if we're walking into kind of a cheaper place, everything's kind of close together, Mm -hmm. right? So there's something intuitive there and, and you can actually kind of back it out. Like, okay, these people are paying rent. 
if they if they can afford to have one item every every five square feet, clearly they're charging a premium, right? So that's a pretty. And awesome. you go into Kmart and they have a <laughs> lot of failure all clumped together, right? Exactly. So. So that's a pretty intuitive thing. So, well, I should first tell you the effect, which is pretty obvious. But when you spread things out more, people think they're more expensive and they like them more and they buy them more. Okay. Mm. So, again, there's some intuition there. Okay. Yeah, we get that. We we know when we you can walk into that store and right away say, oh, I don't think I can afford anything here because there's like, you know, three things each with its spotlight on it. And you, you just know it's it's a high price point. And again, you can kind of back out. Okay. Clearly, you know, they're paying their rent somehow with with, um, with some premium. So we can kind of wipe out that effect um, by simply telling someone. So, for example, we did it with women's jewelry, and we could tell them either this is your, this is the display at Tiffany and Company, or this is this display at like some cheap store like Forever Twenty One, and then people can over kind of overcome the effect of it being spread out to say, okay, no, this is expensive or this is cheap, depending on the store. But there's this other effect that we actually couldn't turn off, and this is kind of the less intuitive one, which is by spreading things out more, each individual item looks better. People actually rate them as more aesthetically pleasing. And that is not intuitive, right? So um, that 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 one <laughs> pink mustache, people find more ex- attractive just by simply not having other things around it. And that has this kind of subtle influence that people like it more. Um, they find it more expensive and they're more likely to buy it. And that you can't turn off. And uh, Okay. Eight Eight tables. Okay, yes. One, one mustache per <laughs> table is the answer. Okay, perfect. I told you, this is my new way to run field studies. Um, and, and so what's interesting there is also, and this kind of goes back to pushing the boundaries of aesthetics. So I tell you, it makes it better looking. And so people are more likely to buy it and they might find it more expensive. Most people are probably assuming then that we're still just talking about, say, earrings or something where aesthetics matter. And again, the interesting thing here is the effect is still there, even if it's something that you don't necessarily think of aesthetics as being part of why you care about it. Um, so it can be something pretty mundane and you still get this effect, like medicine or something. So hmm. somehow the effect of aesthetics is kind of so automatic and almost non-conscious that you can't turn it off because we're not even aware it's having an effect. Um, and you can't override it in any way. So I think that's pretty cool. And in fact, we have a really cool study that we did in that project where we had people taste chocolates and we had a big setup of chocolates um, and it was the same number of chocolates. We got these little um, chocolates wrapped in like a, a purple wrapping and we set up this table and we told people, you know, there's this it, we're in Miami, and there's, there, it is, in fact, the case that a lot of businesses from Latin America, when they come to Mi- come to the U.S., they first kind of test their test their idea out in Miami because Miami is this combination of the U.S. and Latin America. So they're like, well, let's let's do the halfway test here. So we test, set it up in Miami, and we said, there's this this chocolatier brand in Latin America, and they're coming to the U.S. and they want to get feedback. Um, so can you taste a chocolate and then give give us your reaction? Get, take the survey and rate how you how you, how much you like it and how much it, how how much you like the taste and how much you think they should sell it for. And we varied ac- like across different hours. We had the same number of chocolates, but were they set up over one table or two tables? And we actually got that people when it was set up over two tables, people not only. Uh, thought that the chocolates were more expensive, which is kind of the more intuitive thing, but they actually rated them as tasting better. Mm. So that I thought was super cool, right? Mm. You can actually change how people perceive them tasting something. Mm. Yeah. That's, I, yeah, food, food's, uh, yeah. Food's an interesting yeah. thing in that, in that way. Yeah. I mean, we, that, in that respect, we were ba- building on a lot of 
previous research that says you know you give something a higher price point people like it more or i'm a sucker for oh, that yeah. i i like a going out for fancy food yeah. and whatnot and afterwards I mean, yeah, like, when it was when it's like three bites and fifty dollars it's like oh yeah that's got to be tasty yeah yeah <laughs> um i have to enjoy this i like forced myself to start enjoying pate like i didn't like no, it like no. the first 30 times and i kept on trying for some i don't know why <laughs> i like it now it worked it worked you yeah. you eventually you can have my pate. How's that? like what you eat yeah. you don't you don't necessarily you don't have to everyone thinks right. that that eat what you like right. but you'll you'll like the things that you right. eat too yeah um and and just tell yourself a story about how good it was <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fascinating yeah um so uh, okay so when you talk about aesthetics you're uh, so that was work about kind of spacing. So yeah, out. so it was just and taking then... one element of visual processing. And to be honest, the funny thing was we went into this looking at something of visual processing and I do all this work on aesthetics. We didn't know that aesthetics was going to be what kind of what happened, that it would make things look better looking. So yeah, so I have some work that more like that, which is just looking at kind of one visual element, not necessarily aesthetics. Can I uh, yeah. ask, so when you mentioned medicine or whatever, yeah. I imagine you haven't tested this yet, but if you were to uh do this with like different advil tylenol right, right. whatever think it worked better yeah so i haven't studied that but there is a ton of research and i mean it's kind of frightening but um uh one of our students here noah vinberg and he our former students he's at cincinnati he does work on um like he did a couple studies with um i want to say it was with like gatorade and gatorade chewing gum and he would present it as like a, a study aid or, or something like and then have people i'm, I'm probably not getting this right but um, yeah, it, and he was looking at a different effect, but you often can get these things where people's performance actually changes, like just, you know, it's all yeah. in your head, right? You tell, and you would, he would did something, I think it was whether he was selling packets alone or like a, a six pack. And when people saw a six pack, I think there was like, again, I'm getting this all wrong, I'm sure. So, um, but I'll just paraphrase and make up my own research at this point. But something like if it's in a six pack, you don't see it as a strong and then he'd have them do some task and they actually wouldn't perform as well. Hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about a somewhat related thing. Yeah. I, I've been doing CrossFit here and there, uh -huh, and uh -huh. they'll have they'll they pedal their yeah yeah different things, yeah. and there's there's some sort of weird protein goop thing that yeah. I really enjoy. Actually, it's like a smash pack or uh -huh, something like uh -huh. that. I think they're delightful, but uh, and now yeah, you're, you're supposed to have the protein. But I was thinking about like, so I'd always get these things and do it after work. I'm always the worst person in, in CrossFit. I'm <laughs> you super and I uncoordinated. Work yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd, it'd be good for both of <laughs> yeah. our esteem. Yeah. Um, and uh, and these are like at my gym. Yeah. I've been to other ones, but at mine in particular, or at least at the times that mm -hmm. I go, they're like super athletes. There. Uh -huh. it's, yeah. It's yeah. insane. CrossFit it's very intimidating. Intense. Yeah. And, uh, and, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I don't see like once in a while I'll see someone else <laughs> like get one of these things. Right, right. But like, and these people are actually in shape and actually they know, know what, what they're, they're doing. Do yeah. <laughs> doing. I'm just the sucker that's yeah. like, oh, this is gonna make me stronger. <laughs> and that's like, of, of course, it's too. It's like the easiest. Right, the, right. Like, what really makes you stronger is lifting heavier weights, <laughs> not 
getting some goop. goop right. I mean, yeah, I could see at least if you take the goo before you work out, you could just like in your head say like, this is going to make me work work harder yeah, or something. Yeah. But the goo after the workout, I, I'm, tr- I'm having a hard time kind of trying to figure out the mechanism. It's like a reward that I'm getting yeah. afterwards. Yeah. That's like, uh, 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 or, or if it's just... Well, because you, you know, you're supposed to have the protein after right. the workout. Right. So if you're building muscle, it's, it's got so the ingredients. I, yeah. That's I, fair. I like visualize yeah. myself yeah. in the future being some Jacked. ripped yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. I bet yeah. I've just been thinking about that recently because. I've been feeling a little foolish <laughs> about, about that purchasing right. decision. Well, maybe they all were taking that and now they're just so big and bulky. Like, they're, yeah, they're they don't using, need it. They don't it, need it. It would be too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You that, I think yeah. that's clearly, clearly <laughs> yeah. what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get any stronger yeah, at yeah. a certain point. Exactly. Yeah, it's, and it's uh, funny. Do you, do you find yourself falling for many of the tricks that you know oh, yeah. darn I well. Mean, yeah. I like mean, I do. Do you do you have examples? Like I have. Uh, like I, if you put new on something, mm-hmm, uh, like mm-hmm, some new mm-hmm. flavored like Snicker you're, you're bar, way, yeah. like like there's some new like yeah. uh, pepper one or tamale mm-hmm. or like some hot. Like I have of no what? interest in uh, like a Snicker that's okay. like what jalapeno Snicker something huh. something like that mm-hmm. and. Like I don't like jalapeno on anything, and yet. let alone a snicker. But it's like <laughs> if it's new, like in my mind, I well, this yeah. is like I'm a part of human progress. Yeah, yeah. This is like newer equals right, better. Right, right. The science just yeah. the beat behind yeah. a snicker bar is right. just getting better and better. I fall for that one. I I get. I remember like listening to uh, a Dan Ariely oh, yeah. audio mm-hmm. book all about uh, like. I remember I was listening to this part about like decision fatigue uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, totally. on my way to like interview him or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, and I go into a convenience store, like having just listened to that. Yeah. And I just start immediately buying all of this candy and yeah. said that was like exactly, right, exactly the thing that he's yeah. he's like here's the dumb thing that we do and then i walk in there and i do the dumb yeah yeah thing. it's funny so i think i think studying this makes you more aware i'm not sure how much correction goes on so right. for me in some ways i think I, I there's certain things so for example i study a lot about branding and i'm very aware about kind of why people buy various brands and it's all about identity presentation to yourself and to others and you know i buy nike and i feel fitter and i show other people that i'm filler well that swoosh it's so aerodynamic yeah and i mean clearly wearing it is so just gonna faster. yeah that, when if you have like a air pocket right. that's also exposed <laughs> in the exterior oh clearly man, that's really it's just so much better yeah. for running so but i think so for example i have a thing that i don't I don't like wearing anything that is either has a logo on it or um, that is clearly from a specific brand. And I think that's because it's, I'm so aware of this that, that I think to myself, like I'm, I, I become like ashamed or embarrassed about like, if I have that Nike swoosh on me, I'm like, Oh, I'm just trying to be athletic. I'm not really athletic, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm so aware of that, that I've really forego any sort of brand imagery. Um, 
So I think that's kind of one way that might. Be. Oh, and but that's pretty cool of you. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's like another thing that you. I mean, if you look at like Prada or something right. like that, you'll never see the Prada logo. Right. On the Actually, that brings me into another it. project. If you want to talk about another project, of course. Yeah. I want to talk about okay. whatever. Okay. So I have a new project um, that's not published yet. So no one can quote me on any of this because it, it, you know we'll see if all the effects replicate. Um, I, I hope every listener just heard yeah, that right. as I'm going. To quote right. Claudia, <laughs> Professor all... <laughs> Claudia Townsend announces the following key finding. Um, they're yeah. all rushing yeah. out yeah. the door yeah. to tell yeah. their neighbors about right. whatever yeah. you're about to say. Yeah, I'm sure that's say. exactly what's going on. <laughs> so this is a project I have with um, Ludovica Cesario. Who I love that name. I she's Italian. I mean, there's what's not to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just got married. And she just... Congratulations. Yeah, she just got a postdoc at Wharton and is starting at Lehigh University. And um, so she studies luxury branding, and I study aesthetics. And so we decided to put those two together. Um, and so what you're referring to earlier, this is not our research, but just to kind of kind of give some um, academic weight to what you're saying is luxury brands in general um, vary on what we call kind of their loudness. And so a loud brand is, you know, a Chanel sweater that says Chanel across the front. A softer one might just have like the Chanel C and of quiet brand you know, it doesn't have any Chanel symbols and only those people who, you know, routinely go into Chanel stores and routinely shop at Chanel know that brand. And so there's been some research um, out of USC. Um, There was also a paper by Morgan Ward. Various people have looked at this um, element. I'm not going to name everyone because then I'm going to forget some people. But um, the idea is kind of, it depends on who who you're signaling to. Okay. Mm -hmm. So and what's interesting is two separate papers have found this effect that when you're looking at expensive brands among those, you know, luxury brands or, or just expensive brands, generally the bigger the symbol is, actually, would you guess they're more or less expensive? So within I, within Chanel or within Louis Vuitton, if it has a big LV, do you think it's more or less expensive? Well, I would say uh, being half informed, yeah. I would say less expensive yes. with the larger. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So, so that's how it is. So... Because it's basically. Like, I think. Don't you think most people would guess the other way around? Yeah, or? I think. I think it's. I think there's something counterintuitive about it. Yeah. So you think like if I'm buying Louis Vuitton, it's got a big symbol. Like that must be the most expensive. But in fact, it's really about who's buying it and who they're buying it for. And so if you're buying Louis, you're v- kind of selling yourself to like a more knowledgeable. Well, like exactly. A more elite so kind if of if class. I've got a big Chanel written across my chest. Um, everyone knows I bought Chanel and, and I'm someone who wants everyone to know. Okay. Mm. If I have just a plain black sweater that no one would know was Chanel, except for the person who routinely goes into Chanel, then I'm really just signaling to the, to my small cohort or my aspirational cohort, which is people who, you know, know Chanel. I don't care what the person on the bus thinks. Frankly, I'm not right riding the bus if I'm wearing Chanel, but I don't care what the general consumer thinks or the general person thinks. I only care what like this really small group of people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those tend to be, um, kind of more more expensive. Um, and you even see it in cars. So within a range of cars, like if you looked at how big the Mercedes sign is, um, it says Mercedes much more prominently on their cheaper lines. Mm. Um, so it's kind of cool. But so what we're looking at, I totally tangential, but I think that's really interesting research for the record. It's not mine. Um, I wish I'd done that research. But we're looking at... Well, this is, if I can stop you for mm-hmm. a second, I also think of like, this, this kind of makes sense with people have... Uh, you know, say you have company over and you're 
you're going to your wine cellar yeah. or whatever yeah, to yeah. figure out which yeah. you're thinking like, yeah. oh, are they actually going yeah. to, I'm probably not going to bust out the hundred dollar bottle right. on, the, yeah, on the person that's, that's know. happy with yeah. the Trader Joe's. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So. yeah. So what we're looking at, and this is kind of a new thing we identified in the marketplace and, um, um, it's kind of crazy, but there is a new trend in luxury fashion of super hideous clothing. Um, and this is not my judgment. I am willing to believe that most people will say this stuff. It's purposefully hideous. Yeah, okay. I'm picturing like Kanye having like uh, the. It was like, it was like speaking of tacky. Trying, try, it was like trying to look homeless or something like that, like holes yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. And, yeah, so I mean, it's this is more less. It's less of like that might be you consider like street fashion, fashion taken to the extreme. But mm-hmm. we're talking. So right now, there's this new th- this like luxury fashion is putting out these hideous, almost like platform white dad sneakers, and they're thousands of dollars. Or if you go over, <laughs> yeah, Wait. yeah, they're like platform. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wish I wish this was a TV show instead of a podcast. I could pull up some images of oh, some of the stuff that's goodness. selling right now. Or if you go right now. I'm um, trying to picture the kind of dad yeah. that is wearing Oh, well, these are women's, but they, yeah, no, it's terrible. Or um, right now, like if you go to the Gucci website, there are these sweaters that look like the quintessential bad Christmas sweater, but it's Gucci. Uh, right. um, so it's there's one we're actually using in a study that is gold, red, and green striped. It's got a little glitter in it, and then it has an enormous applique bunny on it in brown. Okay, this thing is, I mean, no question, if you saw this in a Kmart, you would, there's, and it was $3, you'd say that's too much. Mm-hmm. And this is selling on Gucci for $1,800. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's selling a lot, right? This is, a, this is not a one-off thing. Across the board, luxury brands are doing this. And so we were, we were thinking, okay, from a psychological point of view, what is going on? Who is buying this and why? Um, so we started to delve into that a little. And so we ran some studies where we'd take like a good looking sweater and an ugly sweater and we'd either label it as say like H&M or Forever 21, something, you know, cheap or a Gucci or a Prada or something like that. And we saw, okay, well, how do people look at it? And we found a couple things. So obviously if you tell them it's Gucci, they expect the price point to be higher. But within the the pretty and the uh, um, ugly sweater, they see the ugly sweater as more expensive than the pretty sweater. Um, when it's labeled Gucci. You don't get this when it's Forever 21 or H&M or some Gap. But once it's luxury, they actually see that that sweater is, they perceive it as more expensive. Mm. Um, so that's step one, which we're like, okay, that doesn't make sense. Um, we've done this even without pictures where we just describe the sweater. So it, it there's no visual cue saying this is more expensive and yet people see, you, you see it as um, more expensive. And then we actually gave people choices. We said, look, you know, thanks for doing this. You can either have kind of whatever we gave it, like um, the sweater or it's like something like one fifth of its value um, in cash. And um, within the luxury, people were more were within sorry within the non-luxury no one picked the sweater it's hideous um if you say this is from forever 21 they'll say yeah i'll take the good looking one but if you showed them the ugly one they said yeah thanks but no thanks within the luxury it didn't matter people were just as likely to choose the sweater when it was good looking and when it wasn't Hmm. so we've started to kind of figure out what's going on and our theory is it really is about kind of signaling signaling power and the fact that it signals luxury and we have kind of two processes that we think are going on one is basically 
um, if I am someone who goes to the Gucci website, the Prada website or whatever, those ugly sweaters are pretty memorable. So the next day, if I see you wearing it and I am someone in the know, even if it doesn't say Gucci or Prada on it, it's much easier to recognize it. So it becomes, you know, within these people in the know, oh, right, that you, I know where you got that sweater. Um, but then even among the people who don't necessarily know luxury, who don't go to the website, there's kind of this thing. So you see, if I, if you walked into my office, um, I, you don't know me very well, but if you see someone wearing something particularly hideous, and maybe someone that you consider to be fashionable, your first thought would be, why does this person have this on? Um, And then you think, well, they didn't pick it for the aesthetics, so why did they pick it? So consumers kind of have this intuition, well, it must be for the brand. Um, There's no other possible explanation of why you would be wearing, you know, a Christmas sweater with an ugly bunny on it, um, unless it was by a good brand. Mm -hmm. So we really think that this ugliness is kind of this other signal that says, yeah, this is this is this is luxury. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah, there's Preliminarily, also something again, with, there's a bit asterisks there. We're not, you know, don't quote me on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's also something with fashion where it's like, you know, you know uh, the the elites kind yeah. of get some, and then like everyone else Let's tries to it, copy totally. them, yeah. and then they're always so. Then the elites have to change again, yeah, and they're always yeah. trying to. So yeah. Stuff, so you see something like really peculiar, yeah. and there is some sort of like, wow, they yeah. must. They must really know <laughs> no, I think I, there's definitely that going on. So basically, what we're saying is it's it's not any. It doesn't have to just be ugly for this effect to occur. Mm. It's got to be distinctively ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be like eye catching or something you noteworthy about it. Um, if it's just like oh that doesn't really fit you that well, you're not getting the effect. But it's got to be distinctively ugly, and you're absolutely right. It's like oh that must be cutting edge then if it's <laughs> if it's so ugly. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to change the way things are gonna, right. instead of like you know, great fitting yeah. and uh, yeah. and uh, beautiful design. It's going to the future is going to be like come, come and check out our new line of nearly traumatizing <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. wear. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, shockingly horrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's so fascinating. Yeah. Well, as we as we wrap up, as I mentioned, I have my guests each week plug a, a plug a, a charity of their choice. I try to encourage uh, people to get out there and do some good in the world. Um, and so did you have a group So despite mind? our conversation earlier, my, my charity is a local charity. So uh, I'll give a little disclaimer. Okay. So Guitars Over Guns is a fantastic organization. Um, and what they do is they bring uh, music classes um, to inner city schools in Miami. And I think they also work in Chicago. So Chicago people, this is relevant to you also. Mm-hmm. Um, with the idea of kind of keeping kids off streets, doing something productive, learning music. Um, and it's a f- fantastic organization. Again, that's called Guitars Over Guns. But given this context that it is local, I would encourage all your listeners to kind of think about that idea of um, maybe if you as as a young person were able to participate in some after school activity um, and if you hadn't been participating in that activity, what m- trouble you might have gotten in or an, an influences you might have fallen under and see if there's an organization maybe in your community that is like Guitars Over Guns, kind of helping kids um, learn yeah. and do something productive in the afternoons. Absolutely. I love it. That's fantastic. Good. Well, thank you, Claudia. Yeah. And that's there, if there was anything else that Not we at need all. This to... Was fun. Okay, perfect. Yeah. We, I think we nailed it. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank thanks you for, for your time. Me. This is a terrific conversation. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. I'll talk with you next week.
Next week on the Here We Are podcast, very special episode, I drove to Hood River, Oregon. Got a tour of the Full Sail Brewery and got to sit down with Brewery Quality Assurance Manager Kevin McCabe, who took his science background and now uses it to brew better beer for Full Sail Brewery. We have this fantastic discussion. I got a tour of the lab. I got a tour of the facility. Got to see uh, uh, all of the beer manufacturing of just thousands and thousands of bottles all all being uh, bottled at once and just seeing all of the cool facilities and it was uh, it was wonderful ever been on a brewery tour before i've been on a few now always a good time and uh, this one was special because i actually got to sit down with one of the uh, one of the brewers afterwards and have a long chat about we actually talk a lot about the the evolution of alcohol and of yeast and how and how humans have uh, adapted alongside yeast and why alcohol would have had some benefits for early humans really just mind-blowing really interesting discussion mostly the evolution of beer i guess is is kind of what we're talking about next week so I should have opened with that, huh? Well, <laughs> you're definitely going to want to check it out. And by the way, I took some pictures while I was touring the brewery, and I'm going to be putting them on Instagram. Bear with me. I am very new to Instagram at Shane Moss Comedy. Do you say at? I think that you do. I'm very new to Instagram. I'm going to try to start putting pictures with guests and stuff like that on the old Instagram page. I've you know, I've gotten a little burnt out on the Twitter and the Facebook stuff lately. I still try to post some show info, and once in a while, I still post some jokes here and there, and it comes and goes. Sometimes I get on a real, real hot streak, but uh, but I've I've kind of been. You've heard me talking about it with some guests over uh, over some past episodes, I'm trying to be a little more open minded about figuring out how to connect with people and so gonna give instagram a try we'll see is it gonna be am i gonna get horribly addicted is it gonna ruin my life we'll find out so far so good also patreon.com speaking of (laughs) more things for me to keep up with uh slash shane moss you can go and check out extra content there Today's outro music brought to you by the Multiple Pack. And if you want to check out more great indie music, check out the Jimmy Pro Indie Music Podcast. It's fantastic. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.
Thank you.